We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How to find value in fantasy drafts. That's what we're going to talk about this week on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards Per Gretsch. You can find my Substack at bengretsch.substack.com. And with me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his work over at Rotoviz. And, and Sean, we've gotten some requests to talk about maybe some, some players that we aren't always drafting. We've talked in some previous shows about how we tend to have sometimes somewhat narrow target lists. We, we've talked a lot about how we like to draft within structure and the types of structures that we're looking at. A lot of that is sort of, you know, the 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 101 <laughs> to, to, to this uh, episode that, that people, I think if you haven't heard these prior episodes, you should maybe go back and, and give a listen. But what we want to expand on a little bit that some of our listeners have told us they want us to expand on a little bit is some of these players that we maybe aren't specifically targeting. Would we ever consider them? How we do, how we go about that? When, when are we ever making out of structure picks, those types of things? Exactly. We've gone into a lot of detail on, zero running back, how to make that work, modified zero RB, how to do that. We've gone through our breakout selections, discussed how you hit on breakouts, you know, how you find them, then who those players are. We've talked about sleepers in depth in the last series, and that was a lot of fun. But we want to make sure we're still getting value, right? And that we're not drafting these teams that are simply fun, but are going out there and it's reach, 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 reach every round that probably doesn't accomplish exactly what we're going for. And so we want to look at some ways that we can get value and how do we get these targets that we like without paying so much that invalidates even their sort of ceiling projection. And if we're paying above ceiling for guys that are you know, going to be good, it, it still doesn't work out, right? And so we're going to go through that. We also have an exciting guest for the third show. As listeners know, we go sort of big picture to start with players, second and then we have a, an expert who really rounds out the topic for us the the guys who have been on the show so far have been absolutely fantastic we appreciate everything that they have done we have mike clay coming on from espn in this third show he's one of these drafters who uh, i've done a lot of drafts against mike through the years and you go in and it's always kind of fun to check out what the just algorithm says about like who had the best draft. And invariably, it'll be Mike. He takes value after value after value in these drafts and not surprisingly then tends to do very well 
in the leagues. We'll get his ideas on how to find value because he approaches it a little bit differently than Ben and I do. And I think getting those contrasts is very important. So we're looking forward to that. Ben, we're also drafting in our RV Triflex Dynasty League startup. Awesome uh, fun developments there. Yeah, I, I, we, we told listeners that we would sort of update you guys. I've gotten some questions about how it's going. We got the fifth overall pick, I think, to start. It's a super flex format. The first four picks were all quarterbacks. We were looking at Christian McCaffrey at fifth, potentially. But we did really want to go young. We made some trade backs. Sean's been wheeling and dealing. He's been leading the the, the trade back charge. I'm sort of just watching in awe uh, at someone who so clearly understands values and all of these things. Some, somebody asked me what our, our values are in startups and all these trade things. And I'm like, I don't know. I would ask Sean. <laughs> like, I'm not... I'm not so uh, experienced in startup values to even understand the the uh, the specific values that you should be looking for in all these ranges. That's you know probably a good a good piece of content for someone out there. But we moved back a bunch. We didn't make our first pick until I think the fourth round, and we took DJ Moore. T. Higgins had already gone. Some of the guys we were looking at had gone, and then we also moved back right after that. <laughs> As we got into, I want to say it was the sixth round. We had only made the one pick, and our, our draft skewed a little bit younger. I think a couple of listeners maybe were in our draft. Ultimately, we took we, – we had compiled four future firsts, four future seconds, plenty of future draft capital, but we took um, a couple veterans sort of thinking, well, we might still be able to build a pretty good win-now team because we – we had a ton of picks in this round six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven range where there's still plenty of really good value. So we took Austin Eckler and Aaron Rodgers, and then interestingly, uh, we're able to move Austin Eckler and some, you know, a future pick drop back or something to get to Saquon Barkley, which was a you know sort of an offer that was brought to our doorstep, and then later moved Barkley and Rodgers to get all the way to Kyler Murray. So now we actually do have a, a top five player. Um, from the original draft on our roster. And we've we've rounded out the receiving core basically since then. So it's Kyler Murray, it's DJ Moore, it's uh, Elijah Moore and Rondale Moore. We have all the Moores. LaVisca Chenault, we just took Debo Samuel. We took Juju Smith-Schuster. We have this really good receiving core that's young, also have Kyler Murray on the roster, haven't taken any running backs or tight ends, and have a ton of future draft capital. So I'm just like thrilled with where we're at. It's been a lot of fun. It's great to have Murray with that core of receivers like you mentioned we had to take some of those receivers a little bit earlier than adp but because we have a lot of picks that's going to actually create values at some of our other targets later so that's an element of value that we can look at in that respect is that because we have a lot of picks and because we move down it kind of flips the board a little bit in an area where we have a lot of bullets that we can fire and so we still end up with value even if we have to switch a little bit where we're taking our guys Ben, one of the things that we mentioned here as we were preparing for the show is that uh, redraft, obviously, very much on everyone's minds right now, but a lot of dynasty startups also going. This is a great time uh, to get a, a friends and family league going, to get those leagues starting up with your college friends. And value within the dynasty startup is important. You mentioned, you know, how do we value these trades? One of the things that I like to do and talked about uh, on Rotoviz relating to a previous startup, one of the ones I did with Monty and one of the ones I did with Blair, is this idea that we want to look for sort of double values, right? So we put our rankings out there. We talked on Chip, Chip Chasing the other night about some guys that were much higher on than ADP. It's easy to kind of look at that and say, okay, if I had this guy ranked 
in the third round. We're in the fifth round. This is a great value. But in order to emphasize this element of humility and to realize that we're going to be wrong from time to time and that we have more margin built in if we not only are taking guys that we have ranked above ADP, but we take them when they've slid below ADP, then we sort of have this double value. And if not, then that's a good time to try and trade down. Now, obviously, you can't do that with every pick in every draft. You're, you're not going to have those opportunities. That's one of the things that we've talked about in terms of, okay, you know, when do we stay put and pick? And when do we move back? And I like this idea of the double value because, again, you know, we're not going to always be right. We know the player profiles that we want. We know the structure that we want. But even with those two things in place, it's easy to get overconfident in your evaluation of players. Yeah, absolutely. This has been a lesson that I, I've been learning as we go through this startup very well, because there's a lot of guys that I've wanted to take in certain spots that we've both had as clear targets. You've been very patient and willing to try to find some trade downs and maybe try to get that guy at our next pick, especially as we loaded up in, with multiple picks in a lot of these middle rounds. And we were going to have another pick in five or six picks, basically always which is a really nice advantage to the trade back idea when you start to stack a bunch of picks is that then it's easier to, to do what you just described as well, because you don't have to wait a full round and, and potentially miss out on people. But the, the biggest lesson I think I, I took from this is the, the flexibility it gave us to always be getting these little extra values. We did lose on some targets. I mean, one of the guys that we allowed to trade up, we were hoping uh, Jerry Judy might fall a little bit and and the trade up was for Jerry Judy, even though that was well above ADP. Um, and so we didn't get Jerry Judy. And then, you know, at, at other points, we were hoping to get a couple different guys, Chris Godwin, Chase Claypool right after that. They both went, um, or at least considering them at, at, at future picks. And one of the things that you said to me in some of our email discourses was that, um, uh, essentially in your experience, even though those are a bummer that things tend to still work out. Okay. And not only did they work out. Okay. They worked out awesome for, for this particular startup. It was great. And there was points where I was like, we're going to get boxed out of all the good players. And I was getting nervous. I, I get nervous in startups. I want to get my guys. That's um, like the fun part of dynasty. But the, the key to that was because we continuously were willing to trade back when Judy got taken, then we trade back again. You know, okay, now we didn't get our target. We're going to keep taking uh, more and more little value gains to let other people come up and make picks. And you emphasize that point about uh, about humility. What that meant was that we had all sorts of firepower and flexibility to then actually go back and get players that were suddenly available that some people took when they, you know, they really wanted those players. And maybe later in the draft, realized they weren't as deep as they wanted to be. And now all of a sudden, we're willing to move on, on guys they had already drafted. And, and so anyway, it's, it's like, even if you don't draft the player, he's obviously not completely off the board for you. You might actually be able to make a trade back into that player, which is a, a really interesting application of this. Uh, we did that a couple different times, trade back into already drafted players. We wind up with Kyler Murray, which I never expected us to have any chance to get to. But we, we wound up doing that without actually even having to give up much in terms of the broader value we had compiled because of how well you built small value gains through all of our our trade backs. It's just so obvious how that payoff uh, you know, came to pass and what that means for our overall roster. It just kept flexibility open. It kept optionality open down the road instead of 
committing to a pick that is higher than value because we love the player. And I've still made you do that a couple of times, uh, unfortunately for you. But we, we've, I think, done a really good job, you have, of, of continuously making small, smart value gain trade backs and smart decisions in the, in, the, in the way that we then had so much in terms of resources and so much in our war chest that we could kind of do whatever we wanted at that point. People have needs and they, and they realize that, oh, I, you know, I might need to move these guys that I, I really liked drafting last week when we were five rounds earlier in the startup. And, and you mentioned, Judy, I'm very confident that he is going to blow up and have a huge year and that we're going to be disappointed that that didn't work out. At the same time, if that doesn't come to pass, it will not have been the first time that I thought something was going to happen and it didn't. So uh, like you mentioned, these things often do work out. We're still in talks with getting Barkley back again. We have a potential opportunity to get Mark Andrews, who in some ways isn't the best fit for tight end premium, but in Dynasty with the youth, with the trickiness of some of the other later players, there are some good depth options at tight end, but you, know, you do run into some roster considerations when you're trying to stash a bunch of these tight ends. If you've got guys who are not going to be very viable this season, you know, they can be a little bit in the way of, of roster cloggers. So some interesting things to deal with there. Ben, you recently had your projections come out in stealing signals. And it was kind of fun because when your projections came out, you said, you know, feel free to ignore this. When your tiers came out, which you just released, you said, now you can pay attention. As we look at these tiers, how do the tiers help us make sure that we get value in our drafts? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I don't rank anywhere near my projections. You, you referenced for anyone who isn't a subscriber, you referenced those little notes. I mean, the, the issue with projections for me, we, we've talked about it a ton on the show, but it is the snapshot of one potential outcome. And I think when we talk about things like value-based drafting, those things, we're, we're essentially assuming that the projection is so close to accurate that more often than not it's going to to give you a chance to you know to to win based on you know drafting off of these projections um the way i would say it is like it it, it sort of assumes that the, the your projections are going to be right or very close to right maybe more than 50% of the time and then if you make a bunch of small bets you're gaining value sort of like i just described in our dynasty startup what i would say about projections actually though is that probably it's it's more like maybe 25% of the time, even though it's supposed to be our most likely outcome, it's more like a 25% outcome. Nothing else is more likely than that, but there are so many other possibilities. There are so many other scenarios from, from team issues to, to player usage issues, to efficiency issues with, with projections that, that can just be way off. So there ultimately all these other potential outcomes are, are more likely than that projection such that we can say that something other than this is probably more likely than this. And, and then when you can obviously add in, uh, you know, add that up and realize how that can get you into huge trouble when you're just drafting off the projection. Now tiers, I think of as entirely differently or rankings. I, I like to tier it. And for me, yeah, I mean, as far as how, how to use them to, to gain value, it's, it's understanding that players are similar bets. That's what I, that's how I use them. I, I try to make sure that when I'm saying things like I think Travis Etienne is not that much different of a bet than Najee Harris, and it's really just the certainty of workload, which is something that we should typically fade at the running back position because the draft capital is so similar. And I actually thought Etienne was a better prospect, and he has the the you know probable receiving work. There's there's reasons to like you know his situation as well. When I say that, that I think that they are not that much different bets, it's certainly not to to the extent of their their draft range difference. 
then I make sure in my tiers, I have them in the same tier. Cause like the, I, I believe that I don't want to sort of forget that that's a, a point that I believe and just draft off ADP and say, Oh, well, you know, I, I want to get some exposure to Najee Harris. The reality is I don't think they're that much different of a bet. I will stand by that. And I'm willing to draft my team that way. And, and when I tier things like that and I look at that, okay, well now it's kind of a reminder that when I get to that running back tier, I'm, I, I'm not going to be making those picks and, any of the high leverage rounds, the, the 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 picks that have the high ADPs, Najee Harris, I have Nick Chubb in that tier. I have J.K. Dobbins, unfortunately, who I'd like to take some of, but is somebody that I'm not going to take because I think that there are better bets that are better uh, prices, better values to your question that are similar bets later, like ETN that are, to me, their range is, is not very different. And so when we're looking at the projections and when we talked about structural drafting, do, I mean, we're talking about the tiers. So when we're looking at the tiers, how do you use the tiers across position and do the tiers reflect this structural drafting element or are we kind of putting them side by side and saying, okay, well, we know what our wide receiver and running back tiers are. And then I know kind of which position I want to select from at different areas throughout the draft. So maybe even if I have a running back and a wide receiver in the same tier that I would go wide receiver at this point, or do the tiers already reflect that and show you, okay, right here, all of our wide receivers basically in this ADP range are actually above all of the running backs. Well, yeah, I mean, that's exactly why I do my tiers by position because I have the, the structural lessons in my mind as I'm looking at my board. So I know when I'm going to, to, to go at certain positions, you know, specifically the, the easy one is in the, you know, sort of the running back dead zone. It's also in some ways a tight end dead zone. Once, you know, the, the top elite tight ends go, it's in some ways a quarterback dead zone once the, the top quarterbacks are off the board or you just don't want to reach in price because, you know, you can get some some really great values late like we've talked about a ton. And so it's like, to me, it's just so clear. You, you should be taking receivers in rounds four, five, six, seven, you know, almost every draft. And so I, I know things like that, structural lessons like that, that I'm going to be following. And so I'm, when I'm looking at my tiers, as I'm going through my draft, I'm, I'm, keeping in mind that this is probably a wide receiver pick. I want my wide receivers sort of valued separately than the other positions. And, and then I'm handling structure sort of on the back end in my mind. But the reason I like it that way is it makes it very clear to me when there is a clear, clear out of structure value, right? Like one guy from a tier at running back is available and my whole next tier after that is gone off the board. Well, that's when I'm probably going to be willing to try to get that exposure. I'm, you know, if, if this guy goes off the board I'm two tiers down at that position. And especially if I'm looking at wide receiver and saying, okay, I have several options available in this tier. I know that I'm going to get one on the way back. I could always take two out of this tier, certainly. But those are the types of considerations I'm making on, you know, across positions on the clock. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to do those drafts. Ben, we're going to talk about a method that you and I have used in some of our drafts that, again, combines this element of tiers and our player targets with this element of humility right after the break. I just want to take a second to thank you for tuning in to today's show. My name is Colin Kelly, co-host of the Road of His Overtime podcast, along with the great Sean Siegel. We do appreciate each and every listener. And as a thank you to each of you, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Road of His NFL pass. We're heading at full speed towards the season. Make sure you're ready. Get yourself access to all the content and tools up on the Road of His website. All you have to do is add the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout to get yourself that 10% discount. Now let's go and dominate the 
English Fantasy Leagues in 2021. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. So Ben, one of the things that you and I have done in some of our drafts, one of the things that I did last year with Curtis Patrick on our main events, uh, with Blair Andrews, Colin Kelly and I have been using it uh, this year as we draft uh, for Rotoviz Overtime in the $100,000 Best Ball Contest, the $500,000 FBG Contest there with the FFPC, is to put together these draft grids and essentially looking at the rounds and the prices for all of the players and say, okay, we these are the guys we know are going to go in these ranges. These are the players that we like and the players we don't. So, I mean, you can do it any way you want. A very simple way to do it is just, you know, green light, yellow light, red light on the guys, see where you match up with your co-owner and sort of a co-manager is, is already a situation now where we have a little bit of humility built in because you have to come to a consensus with this other person whose insights you value, right? And so we're thinking, okay, well, now I, I may be pushed off of a guy or two that I really want, but I'm going to make better decisions throughout the draft. I've kind of moved away almost even from rankings for myself. I have the rankings out on the site. We, we talked about them on ship chasing. A few of them are, are very, very aggressive. But in order to balance this, I want to also use the insights from the community in general, but then not just that, but make sure that I am paying prices that are still in line with the market as opposed to saying, okay, well, these are my rankings. I'm just gonna go get these guys regardless of the price. This also creates a little bit of diversification in that, you know, if I have T. Higgins in round two, I don't have him on 100% of teams. And, you know, we've discussed the fact that it's actually a little bit light on Higgins because uh, in the drafts that we've been in personally, he seems to go around above ADP every time, which, you know, you're trying to figure out, you know, where these drafts are that he could be going so low that it balances that out to, to create the average. But Ben, what are the strengths and weaknesses of, going about it that way? Or do you think that that helps us get values when we're sort of locking ourselves into some of the guys that go in these ranges? And then maybe even if there are thoughts about tiers, 
this method and then how we handle some of the things that come up pretty frequently right now where there's this pretty serious wide receiver tier break in the middle of round three and again in round five and we've got to use our rankings and our tiers uh, for ourselves to try and like somehow still get value in these ranges as opposed to like you mentioned you know what happens more down not just one tier but two tiers within the uh, context of just a handful of picks seemingly sometimes yeah i mean i i, I think you put the you, you put that question well you sort of already answered it uh, your way i think is a, a very a very sharp way of doing it sort of this round range and understanding adp i mean it, it's always fun to go draft whoever you want because you love them but you know this goes back to the dynasty point about your double double value point i mean we built so much value over the course of the draft there's there's more plays than just your favorite plays you know i loved stefan diggs last year and i was lucky enough to have him on the main event team that did really well and and you you had him on main event teams but we didn't take stefan diggs in every single draft and i had him ranked in the top 20 and he was going at wide receiver and i had him in a tier way but like every draft i was in he was the clear pick at some point because he was going wide receiver 28, I think, and I had him wide receiver 18, and I think that was – I intentionally moved him down to 18 because my early drafts I had him in the top 15, and it was like by the fourth round he was the clear pick, and then sometimes he wouldn't go until the sixth. Maybe the third round, you know, he was becoming the clear pick. And so some of that I, I bake into my rankings. You know, I, I as I do my drafts, I, I intentionally sort of push guys down so that they're not just sitting there begging me to take them for four, for four rounds. You sort of – just said this with with Higgins, like what, where you're looking at the individual rounds. The, the the other side of it is, you know, I when I do it through tiers, I have to recognize that every single draft, this player and Diggs was the one for me last year is going to be staring at me as the clear pick, and I can't take him in every single draft. And you know, that would be the case if you were were drafting off tiers with Higgins, with where you have him drafted this or ranked this year. But the way that you do it from a round perspective, the other very huge advantage. We talk structurally. We talk about these pockets of players. You know where you're going to go in different areas of the, of the draft. And we always talk about building sort of back to front. I think that's a really important thing is sitting and kind of going through a draft plan like you're describing round by round by round and understanding what you're going to do in the later rounds as well, how that's going to help you build out your roster, which helps you stick to your structure in the early rounds. It also gives you a really good idea of in your league, in your specific settings, whether you can make out of structure picks. One of the things that's come from the zero RB shows that we did is a lot of the people are reaching out to me saying i'm so excited to do zero rb this year in my in my draft i'm picking here when's the first time i should pick running backs or i'm picking here i'm definitely doing zero rb this is the year i commit to it i would suggest that that's not the right lesson to take from those like zero rb is a very very valuable approach and we talked about how a lot of the lessons in zero rb can be applied to slightly different builds in our bonus episode on zero rb as well the the lesson shouldn't be I'm going to go zero RB no matter what. You have to be willing to also adjust to multiple different types of draft strategies. I would say that I go into every draft with an, a, a strong enough understanding of structure that I can I can build in that league three or four different ways or more. Um, at this point, it's a little bit more dynamic. I would say this was sort of as I was building this idea two, three, five years ago. I don't know that I would I would tell myself that I have multiple structures I can I can build based on whatever decisions I make in the early rounds, that's what I'm going to do from there. But I think it's really important. You're still open to certain values and certain different, you know, builds, different structures. Sean, when I draft with you, like if there are 
let's take the Eckler and Rogers from our dynasty draft as an example. I didn't expect you. You're the one who floated those names originally. I didn't necessarily expect you to, to bring them up because we were talking about a long-term plan. We had traded for future first. We had one player on our roster in the fifth round. What are we doing drafting a, a veteran running back and, a, and an old quarterback? At the same time, there were clear values at that point. Austin Eckler was going in the, in the fifth. He's in some ways uh, maybe overvalued in redraft, but goes in the first round, right? And then Aaron Rodgers is a player who, it, you know, unless he retires after this year, which I don't think he's going to, I was telling you, I'm w- totally willing to bet on the idea that Aaron Rodgers is going to play three or four more years. Was it, to your point, was an absolute smash value in the fifth round if he's going to play three or four more years at his level. So we're not willing or unwilling to make those types of out-of-structure picks. That that didn't fit with our dynasty plan at all. And it, it did work out where we ended up trading them, but our we were shifting our plan at that point. We're like, we're drafting these guys, and we're going to go win the league in year one and have the future first and, and hopefully get at least a couple of years out of Eckler and Rodgers. But we can build around this where we're taking these values where they are, and that's – uh, you know, something you need to be aware of. And that that's a big one I wanted to drive home about the zero RB thing, especially is like you, you can think that you're going to do that maybe 90%, you're sure, but be willing to consider what happens in your draft. Yeah, this wasn't even the first time I ended up with Eckler, even though I have an article up on Rotoviz talking about how I, he's probably one of my four or five favorite players. But, you know, if there's a downside to zero RB, it's that sometimes you have to let your favorite guys go if they're not going to give you the best chance to win your fantasy league at the same time when he fell to the end of round two in one of these uh rvot listener leagues column and i felt like okay that's the direction that we're going to go and we've talked about having some teams that start running back running back if you have christian mccaffrey and then clyde edwards alaire and well austin eckler is already there right i mean edwards alaire is one of the guys we talked about as being an eckler discount option if you can just get the non-discount guy at that spot, then you want to be aware of the fact that you can do it. In that same draft, we took J.K. Dobbins in round five, again, in a situation where he does fall. And so sometimes if you play with drafters who are trying to do the same thing that you're doing, then you have to be willing to move off it a little bit. Now, we do talk a lot about how one of the things about zero RB that is important to understand is that it works really well in normal drafts, and it can be sometimes more important in drafts that are wide receiver heavy because you still have to get out in front of it and build the team at the position you need. But there are points where you do want to make these out of structure picks. And one of the things that I think can be fun about that is that we do have guys from time to time that we really like, but their values just aren't there. If you're in drafts where the value is there, that gives you a chance to create a little bit of that diversification to round out your overall portfolio and to have some of those fun players. So, you know, don't avoid guys that you really like if it's out of structure, if that both gives you a good value in the draft and gets you some overall diversification. But I wanted to ask you about this idea of diversification. You mentioned that like last year, I mean, we would have had digs as an easy value in round four, but if you're going to get him in round six, 75% of the time, then when you make that pick at the four or five turn or what have you, and you pick two other guys that you can't get in round six, and then you put digs with them, then you have an even stronger team, even though that means you're going to lose on digs sometimes, but that's almost important because like you mentioned, we don't necessarily want 100% ownership. How does it kind of work in reverse or does it ever where you have some players 
that you really want, but you think the, the price isn't quite there. And yet to get diversification and to get them in the portfolio to the range where if they kind of do what you do and hit toward the ceiling, even if you're not getting a great price on it, you have them on the roster then with people in say the next three rounds that are good values, but then you have that mix of players. The number one maybe is a little bit unique. And then number two is sort of a league winning overall construction because now you've got these guys who could all hit at a pretty high level. I'm actually curious about your take on that, on that question, to be completely honest. I mean, I, I think my, my approach to that is just like, if I'm understanding the question correctly, it's just like, I know I'm making a pick in, in certain leagues just for diversification. I'm making a pick that um, I don't think is the best pick if I was only, if I had one, one league to win, but I'm, doing it because I have no exposure to the player or I have too much exposure to the players that I think are the better picks in that spot. And so I'm saying, you know, I think it's the clear pick here, but I have this guy in every single team and you get bit doing that. I mean, I, I've done that plenty of times <laughs> and, and then that player ends up getting hurt. And, you know, I, I learned that lesson the hard way. Like if you have that player on 60, 70% of your teams that you care about, 60 to 70% of your teams take a pretty significant hit right away when that player has, you know, an unfortunate injury. So I, I do have a pretty small target groups. I'm still in a position where when guys that I really like take a big injury, I take a hit, but I'm more down to the point where maybe that's, you know, less than half my teams. I don't, I don't typically have, especially in the higher leverage rounds. I mean, it's different with, with flyers. You can get them on every single roster. If they don't work out, they don't work out. But yeah, I'm curious as to your thoughts on that. Well, we have a lot of shares of guys, you know, like Samuel, like Boyd, because the past production is there, the talent is there, the role within the offense to easily beat draft position is there. We've talked about Juju Smith-Schuster. We have him on quite a few teams because the gap between him and Claypool and Johnson is not necessarily that large and even if it's there and even if they're all priced correctly it's a matter of there are so many compelling targets even just a little bit higher that the way that you create exposure to those offenses is through the least expensive guys however you know we do have some times where we're going to reach for claypool we do have some times where we're going to pay for higgins and you know you look at some guys like Ayuk, it's Difficult to see how he actually pays off at his price. It's definitely not a great bet. I mean, it's not difficult to see how he pays off. The way he pays off is Lance plays well, and Ayuk is a superstar. And that's how it happens. And that's why you go ahead and draft him some. So I'm creating some exposure to Lamb, some exposure to Higgins, some exposure to Ayuk, even though I think that especially Lamb and, and Ayuk are trouble in terms of price. But we want to do it occasionally because... It gives us builds that are a little bit more unique and it does give us some of that exposure to the extreme upside. And because of the overall structure, we can afford to take the price hit sometimes, but we have to balance that out with a lot of discipline overall, or then quickly we get into this mode where again, it's just reach, reach, reach throughout the draft. So I, I, I got to get your, I got to, I got to get your answer on this because I'm completely in agreement on the IU point. I've had a hard time with this price. There's been some discussion on Twitter in the offseason whether Samuel should be ranked even higher than Ayuk, and then people are kind of saying that's ridiculous. I, I It doesn't matter because their price gap is so massive that the, the opportunity cost, as Sean just laid out, is way bigger. 
or, or the gap is, is, is way bigger than, than what it should be in terms of what you can get instead of Ayuk and what you can get instead of Samuel. It just makes Samuel such an easier pick. The Lamb one is the one that stuck out to me, the Lamb point, because I he's risen a ton, but I still want him a lot. And you said that Ayuk and Lamb are, are really trouble. I, I, I got to hear sort of what the concern is for Lamb. Well, anytime you have a number three receiver like Michael Gallup, then I think you've got to – Look at the overall target situation. Now, you see some articles from very, very good analysts saying that players like Lamb are wildly overpriced, which I guess I don't necessarily agree with that either because I think that the outcomes that matter to you are the ones that win your league and win half a million dollars. It's kind of this thing of, yeah, I mean, we talk about the win big, lose small element, and you could definitely lose on lamb at the price because there are some other guys. I mean, Terry McLaurin, one of the, the people we talked about sort of head to head on this show the other night, someone who probably has a better target situation, Ryan Fitzpatrick primed to go off and have a huge season. And yet there's just so many scenarios in which lamb has a lot more upside. So you just, you want to have some of him, but you have to understand what you're doing. You have to understand what you're getting into and you have to be okay with the fact that, you know, we talk about how you want to get six of the top 15 wide receivers. To do that, you're going to have to draft more than six because you're not going to nail it every time. And maybe every once in a while you will. If you draft, draft the right profiles, you actually can do that, even though you're not going to get like six of the top 15 guys that actually go off the board. But you have to be okay with the fact that if you draft Lamb at his price, he may not even be a starter for you. But again, the overall structure makes it work out. And if Lamb is not a starter for you, then that's not necessarily a problem because you're winning your league at that point, right? I mean, your team is so powerful that you've got a player like that on the bench. I still, yeah, I, I totally get the point, but I, I still with Lamb, Lamb's profile specifically and how good he was early before Dak went down and the conversations that he's going to be more of a full-time player after he lost some snaps at times in three wide receiver sets. I, I totally understand the Gallup point. Obviously, Amari Cooper... Uh, I'm a little concerned about Cooper's health, uh, his ankle that he's still sort of rehabbing. But I, I get the point that this could be a, a little bit more of a, a balanced distribution. And so at that point, the play would be Gallup, obviously, at, at cost. But I still I just have such a hard time seeing Lamb as being anything other than a small loss. It's sort of Even at a high price, like I, I don't see where Lamb, with his profile – isn't already going to, you know, to, to like, I mean, if he's healthy, isn't going to be a top 24 wide receiver. I just, I have a really hard time seeing that. Well, and, and you and I are on the same page on this and, and, you know, you can create problems for yourself occasionally by interacting with and, and mostly reading and believing people who think the same thing, because then, you know, you start to get more and more confident in it, which we know is a problem. But one of the reasons why we were targeting Boyd and targeting Samuel so heavily is we think the gaps are not that large. We really love their talent. We think those offenses could be very split. We'd be pretty surprised if it worked out that Chase was this just mega target hog as a rookie. We'd be a little bit surprised if Ayuk and Kittle were just so much better than Debo Samuel that Samuel gets boxed out, especially considering, again, what his role is. I think that Lamb is on his way to being so much better than Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup, that, that he's the way to play that, right? That is the offense where you want the most expensive guy, 
whereas the other offenses you want the less expensive guys. And, and one of the things that allows you to do too is by taking Samuel and by taking Boyd, you then have the ability to afford to take Liam. You've got to kind of work through on your teams who you're willing to pay those higher prices for and who you're willing to get the discount. So in many ways, it's because we believe in Boyd and because we believe in Samuel that we can afford to pay up for CD Lamb. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. Yeah, I, I, I've derailed us from our, our conversation because I, I had to get that that take on Lamb. You had one last question for, for our first episode, and it, it fits with Lamb. You had a, a question here that you put on our notes that I just want to hear your answer to. How do you create exposure to trendy players without losing a ton of value through reaches? We just talked about these, you know, these issues with reaching too high. And and a huge part of what you're saying, obviously, is the fact that Lamb is going in the second round now. He's going right with Justin Jefferson. When I was first sort of getting really excited about him a few weeks back on our show, I was saying that he's he feels like this year's AJ Brown. I was saying that he should be close to Je- Justin Jefferson, you know, because of the DAC injury, because of some of these things. He's basically at Justin Jefferson now. So now you're not even getting any premium on Jefferson necessarily. Uh, I've seen Lamb go ahead of Jefferson. You're not getting really any premium on on Jefferson from the fact that he was as good as he was for 16 games last year, whereas Lamb wasn't. And we're, we're sort of hoping that he will be. Uh, and so that's, you know, an obvious note that at, at that point, if they're if they're val- if they're being drafted right next to each other, then, then why wouldn't you just take Jefferson? But how how do you do that? How do you create exposure to these trendy players without losing a ton of value and and still having these small miss big hit players overall and, and a roster that's small miss big hit? I think that you have to really work hard to execute a variety of these elements together because just one thing isn't going to do it, right? So you're going to need to do something structurally like zero running back. You're going to need to do something humility based like forcing yourself to take players in their ADP ranges. You're going to need to do something like a reverse draft where, you know, you plot out for yourself who you're going to be taking in rounds 11 through 20, kind of work that backward to see what fits for you in the first half. And even something like making sure that you've mocked out the types of rosters that you can get with a pick from, you know, one through four and nine through 12, you know, some of there is going to have, plenty of, of leak across, you know, once you get into the, the draft very deep, but you need to have a feeling of, of where these guys are going to go. There are different types of teams that you build with an early pick than if you, what you build with a late pick, you have to have a sense of, you know, how many drafts you're going to do. If you already know some of your draft slots, you want to make sure that you're kind of mocking those out to get a sense, because I think that if you have guys that you really want and you haven't built a full draft plan, then when you're on the clock, I mean, it's impossible to resist, right? We talk about some of the advantages that people who do a lot of teams have. And one of the main ones is just that you know that if you miss on your guy in this league, you can get him somewhere else. If you're just playing, you know, if you're just playing one league, which is a very reasonable way to approach fantasy football, right? But then it becomes harder. And I almost think that if you're playing one league, you know, just go for it, you know, draft the guys that you want. But if you're doing a lot of leagues, make sure that you've worked through it and you can see how it comes out and you can see how you want to build the overall portfolio. If you don't have the big picture, then it's really hard to execute the small picture. Yeah, that's a great point. I think uh, that idea of mocking out all the different drafts at different spots, I've certainly played with the idea. I've never gone through with it, but I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, I'm looking at several different main events. I know my draft slots. 
and I'm, I, I've sort of started to play with it. Like I, I have one um, tomorrow. It'll be the, the day of, of this releasing, you know, drafting with the same co-owners later. And, and we have a, a different pick and trying to understand, you know, trying to think about what our two builds might be because, you know, we want to, we want to take sort of an aggressive build in the first, but we have a higher pick. And I was kind of, you know, wondering about maybe the time to make that build is with the, with the, the later draft. So it, yeah, I mean, I think that's a really smart point broadly, but I think, yeah, I think that'll, that'll do it. We're going to come back next show and talk about specific player selection. Sean has written out some awesome questions, you know, players that we want exposure to that we, but we feel are overvalued um, players that we would never draft players who are values as opposed to sort of upside plays, which we're kind of always shooting for upside plays, but we hit on that concept a little today players that we uh, really like, but, have a hard time drafting because of structure. You know, a lot of really interesting questions. Oh, and, and your last one, are there trendy players that still just represent clear value, which will be a really fun conversation as well. So yeah, come back on uh, on Monday for episode two of, of this week. I'm looking forward to that. It's always fun to get your player takes and, and get a little closer to some of the drafts that you and I have coming up. So that'll be a lot of fun. That's going to do it for today's episode of Stealing Bananas. I'm Sean Siegel with me as Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards Per Gretch. Uh, this is the perfect time to subscribe to his newsletter, Stealing Signals. He's got great content coming out for you almost every day. You don't want to miss that. At Rotoviz, we have multiple articles flying for you. Dave Cabin has just posted the advanced stats tool where you can now get information like routes, broken tackles, uh, passes that are on target and go in there and see maybe which quarterbacks didn't uh, benefit from wide receiver play and if you believe uh, that a daniel jones for example can do it you know once he has upgraded weapons like he does this year you'll be able to find all of that now on road of us we're excited to have that information for you in the 2021 in season as ben mentioned we're going to have more stealing signals um, we're going to have more stealing bananas very shortly make sure you subscribe to our feed to get that as always, too, uh, please subscribe to Rotoviz and you can get a 10% discount with the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. We'll see you soon.